Good afternoon. The time is 2 o'clock. Welcome to Vox Pop for this Tuesday, February 13th. I'm Ray Graff. Time once again to talk car maintenance and repair. We welcome back our buddy Gordon Fricky. Gordon is the owner and operator of Barber and Fricky Automotive in Hoosick Falls, New York. You got a car question? Maybe your, your check engine light went on? Your struts are a little wobbly? You need to, to top off your rear differential? Give us a call. 800-348-2551 is the number. 1-800-348-2551. You can also email us at voxpop at wamc.org. That's the email and the number is 800-348-2551. The one, the only, Gordon Fricky, And your car calls coming up after the news. Hello once again. Welcome back to Vox Pop, WAMC's live afternoon call-in talk show. I'm Ray Graff. On the program today to answer your questions about cars and trucks is Gordon Fricky owner and operator of Barber and Fricky Automotive in Hoosick Falls, New York. It's an independent repair auto body towing and used car facility. Gordon has been in the automotive repair and service industry for more than 30 years. If you have a question about something going wrong or that you fear may be going wrong with your vehicle, call 800-348-2551. 1-800-348-2551. That's the telephone number. The email address is voxpop at WAMC.org, voxpop at WAMC.org, or 800-348-2551. We never have a, t- have a chance to get through all the questions, but if you get in early, you got a shot. Uh, Gordon Fricky, how are you? Good, good, Ray. How are you, or should I not ask? No, I'm doing all right. I'm a little hoarse, but that's okay. Uh, yeah. We're, we're going to make it through. You know, it occurred to me this morning, I was thinking about it, you do a great service, especially at this time, because people are keeping their cars longer these days and not buying as many new cars. Or am I wrong? You are. You are correct. And um, I, I, I allude to this a lot. I watch a podcast or a program on YouTube uh, almost every day, and it just keeps me up to date on the auto industry or the or cars, trucks, everything, vehicles in the world. And the supply chain shortages and the chip shortage, all that stuff has resolved. Mm. But overall demand for new vehicles is still considerably lower than it was pre-pandemic. And they always use the, the gauge of 2019, right? That was the heyday marker, apparently. And I was kind of surprised to learn that uh, particularly in Europe, some of the big, big car makers are 20% off of their 2019 numbers and some 40, some not quite as high. U.S. is down. We're not selling as much as we did in 2019. China's a different world. Um, their demand for vehicles went completely off the scale, but I think they're starting to also slow. So it's a little deceiving. You know, you see a lot of cars at dealers now. They're, they're kind of piled up in their lots again, which we haven't seen in a few years. Very interesting. And, of course, prices of uh, used vehicles are up, up. Everything's up, I guess. Yeah. Starting to, they're starting to gradually come down. 
like everything else in proportion, will they ever go back down? No, of course not. When when you get a big price hike, like you know, if gas jumps up a dollar a gallon and then it relaxes, it never relaxes to where it was prior to the jump. You know, so that's just the way it works. That's making me depressed. All right, let's go to the yeah. emails. Gordon Fricky's our guest today. It's cars eight hundred three four eight two five five one. Email is voxpop at wamc.org. Got this one at 819 this morning. This is from Gary in Lindenhurst, Illinois. Gary says, I have a 2022 Genesis with 18,000 miles. Recently, I noticed the rear end whining noticeably at various speeds. I searched the Internet, found information about early failures. Do you have any experience and or advice on this? Well, I don't see those vehicles. It's a kind of a low-volume um, high-end um, uh, Hyundai product. Ah. Um, what comes to mind usually when I hear that type of a symptom or, or, or customer report, uh, you always think about a, a wheel bearing, which today they're hub assemblies or unitized uh, bearing assemblies. Yeah. Um, he's a bit low on the mileage, but that's not to say there isn't an issue going on there. The other thing which uh, can give noise and also mask or fool people and technicians into thinking it's a bearing of some sort is uh, poor tire wear, abnormal tire wear. So the oh. tires get really choppy, yeah, and they make a sound kind of like if you put your if you ever used a real lug type of snow tires. When you put those on, all of a sudden they're noisy and the noise changes with speed. Yeah. So I would either say he's got an alignment issue causing a tire wear and or maybe a premature bearing failure back there. All right. And the second part of Gary's question, and since he wrote in from Illinois, I thought I'd go for two here. Gary writes, I was also considering buying an OBD2 scanning tool, but I recall in previous shows you mentioned the cheaper units provide limited information. If I spent the money, can you offer some advice for someone with limited auto skills? And again, that's from Gary in Lindenhurst, Illinois. Yeah, so it's very nice to, to be able to plug in a basic uh, OBD2 device to read codes and get basic data. Yeah. And even the entry-level ones, and I have a really inexpensive one that I'll plug into a car so I can go drive it and I can watch things like the readiness monitors for the state inspection, uh, you know, to see how the car is performing itself tests. So you don't have to spend a lot of money to get decent data. I'm talking like, you know, $80, yeah. uh, $90, and you can get them cheaper than that. But if you jump up into a little bit more money, um, they will do more things. You can then get into maybe scanning uh, anti-lock brakes and reading data and or uh, possibly airbags. So, you know, the more you spend, the more elaborate the tool becomes. That's all. I guess it depends how much he thinks he wants to get into well, reading the vehicle. All right, that's a, that's a that question, really. I mean, he, he, by his own admission, limited right. auto skills. Are you wasting money getting the real advanced scanning tool? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I'd go on the snap-on truck and buy, you know, a $9,000 scanner. Yeah. Wow, that's a good, that's an expensive <laughs> scanner. All right, uh, let's go to Mike in Stone Ridge who says, I have a 2021 Subaru Crosstrek, which has CVT transmission. The recommended service for the transmission is at 100,000 miles. I want to take good care of this car. Should I service the transmission at shorter intervals? 
Yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, I had somebody call me up on that the other day, and we check with, uh, a lot of times we'll check with the car manufacturers, or I should say the dealerships, to get the trend, to see what they find they're doing out there. And I, a lot of times they're telling me at Subaru, and it was in the manual for certain models, maybe not the Crosstrek, but it was uh, don't service it. And I'd say, what? You know, it's 100 yeah. and something thousand miles, and you don't even do a drain and refill. Yeah. And they kept saying, no, don't touch it, don't touch it. Um, in his owner's manual, that will give a recommendation. And if it says to do it, by all means do it. And if they have a drain and refill interval, let's say at 105, just to pick a number, totally safe and fine to do it less than that, half that interval. Uh, General Motors has it in all their pickup truck manuals. If you are towing, hauling, using the truck for anything more than passenger use, those fluid maintenance get get way shortened up. Interesting. Like every 30,000 miles if you're towing with the truck. Huh. So I would consult the manual and or contact Subaru. All right, one more email for now, and then we'll take a break, and then we'll hit the phones. 800-348-2551 is the number if you'd like to talk to the world-famous Gordon Fricky. He's even known in Illinois already. Uh, Brandon writes, I have two questions. I have a 2017 Nissan Altima, and every once in a while... When I start it, it'll go into limp mode and won't take off right away while I have the gas pedal pushed almost to the floor. I had the intake manifold replaced. It still seems to do it every once in a while. I was told it could have something to do with low CVT fluid. Also, whenever I turn on my heat in the car, a gas-like smell comes through the vents every once in a while. Any idea what that could be? And that is from Brandon. You go, Brandon. Mm. What do you got? Yeah. Well, I would probably want to get that thing scanned because if it truly goes into limp mode, the computer's got to be involved. Oh, wait. Limp mode is a real thing? I thought that was Brandon's fine turn of phrase there. No, no, no. It's actually automotive limp mode. In other words, limp in. Like if you're badly injured on the football field and you limp limp back to the sidelines, Yes, cars have a limp mode mode. Oh, be darned. Crazy term, right? Yeah. But yeah, that means they go into totally reduced power to save themselves, but still get you safely off the road or maybe home. So I would get it plugged in to see because he talked about having an intake manifold replaced. Um, You know, it could be more to that issue that that he had done there earlier. No, okay. And, and the other thing was something about a smell that comes into the car once Gas-like in a while. Gas-like smell once in a while, yeah. I'd be concerned that there's some kind of a leak going on at the engine area, and the smell of that leak piles up under the hood, and when they turn the heater on, some of it gets snuck past the hood seal. Ooh and gets dragged in through the heater momentarily. Interesting. That'd be my guess there. Okay, fair enough. Let's take a break here. Uh, interesting uh, fun fact. My career has been in limp mode for the last 12 years. Uh, Z- <laughs> Zach Malloy is our engineer. Gordon Fricky's our guest. Zach, take it, sir.
Kenny Burrell and the Cats. Bulu here on Vox Pop. 800-348-2551 is the number. 800-348-2551. It's cars today with Gordon Fricky of Barber and Fricky Automotive. Hey, how are the uh, new digs working out for the shop? Well, we're still in the process. No, nothing's nothing's transitioning yet, but we're in the process of, of uh, winding the project. Okay. All right. So well, I don't have any official news yet. All right. Fair enough. I I, th- I thought we talked about it on the air, but I guess I uh, spoke out of no, line. No, all right. Fair enough. Yet. I'll shut up now. Let's go to the phones. And George in Castleton. George, you're on. Yeah. Uh, hey guys. Hey. Um, I've got an '09 Audi, and it's only got sixty-eight thousand miles on it. I got this from my mother, and hasn't been really well maintained. Um, but it had been burning oil. I've been going through about a quart every 500 miles. So at the last oil change, I put in a bottle of an oil additive to prevent leaks. Um, Lucas was the brand name. Um, And now I get a really scary message um, as the car is in its first few minutes. It says, stop the car immediately and check the oil. And every time I do that, it's full. The oil is full. There's plenty of oil. So um, there's something else going on um a couple more clues um if you run the car get it fully hot shut it off and then start it driving again you do not get this message what is the model it's oh i'm sorry the a4 um it's a two liter uh, turbo engine quattro yep and it's and it's an 09 correct okay yeah um unfortunately that series of A4s had a severe history of oil consumption. Um, back in those early days, Audi had extended that warranty quite a bit. And there was a, I don't know if it was ever a recall, but it was a warranty extension to get uh, a change yeah. of pistons and rings and a few other things. Um, right. And the window has it, closed on that. Pardon me? The window is closed on that. The window has closed on that. Oh, Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's long, long past. Um, So that car, um, you don't have a dipstick, if I'm correct. What? I put put one in, yep, and um, like I said, when every time I check it, it's full. So is it, it's not over full, is it? I know. No, it's right up to the max line. So... If you bring up your oil level in the vehicle on the screen, what is it saying there? It says uh, max. Okay. So when you added the quart, was your screen telling you just to add one quart? Uh, No, it was an oil change. So I added the factory recommended um, volume. And and that's my question is I'm due to change it again. Um, Should I put this stuff back in? You you can certainly put one Lucas in place of one quart of oil. I, what, yep. what I'm what I'm alluding to is you may have overfilled it. Uh, and that level sensor, uh, and I'm not sure on an 09, but the newer vehicles were are sensitive to too much oil as well as not enough. So okay. if you're close to needing an oil change, are you doing this yourself? Yes. Okay, just yeah, just be be sure you've drained it all out, of course, and the car's not on a, a you know severe. Make sure the car's level or as close to level as you can get it, and then put the specified amount in, 
um, and then see if those messages stop happening because you can okay. put too much oil in and it brings that level sensor uh-huh. too high and it, it will alert the driver because too much oil is bad because it'll hit the crankshaft and splash all over the place and, you know, it could be trouble. All okay. right. All right. Thanks, so, Gordon. So anyway, yeah, your oil consumption, unfortunately, is going to be um, increasing as you drive more miles with the car, but the remedy is very, very expensive. The last I knew, it was about a $6,000 fix. Okay, well, let's move on then. Uh, Tom and Great Barrington, you're on with Gordon Fricky. Hello. 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 I have a 98 uh, Honda Accord, and we hit a pothole with it, and it blew the rim, well, blew the tire, but bent the rim. And we put the uh, spare tire on with three lug nuts to get it home, and we noticed the vibration. We took that tire off. We put five new studs in and put the um, spare tire back on, the full spare tire, and we still got a vibration at 30 miles an hour. Any idea what it is? Maybe it's the other wheel. That's what I thought. Yeah, it could be the other tire, the other tire or the other wheel, whether it's bent or not, but it might be out of balance or the or the tire could be getting a little bit lumpy or out of whack. So I would uh, get the other one balanced and make sure that it's perfectly round. You know, if the tire's out of round, you can still balance a wobbly tire, but it doesn't mean it's going to not shake or, or give you trouble on the road. So I, I'd be... I'd be concerned about the other side at this point. Okay. It wouldn't be like a bent axle or anything, right? I doubt it. I mean, the the, the CV axle, you know, would give you a, a shake and a wobble, but uh, uh, hitting a pothole won't go in, it won't affect the axle, you know, unless you drove, like, you know, deep into a ditch, and then you'd be doing some serious damage. Yeah. But yeah, I would just check to make sure you don't have any bent, check for bent wheels, wobbly tires, and make sure they're both, uh, balanced, and then see what you get. Okay, and then we got to go from there. <laughs> okay, thank you. Yeah, I mean, you may you may find that solves it. Tom, thanks for the call. This email comes in from RC, who says we have a 2009 Honda CRV. The engine runs great, and the battery is fully charged. But when we crank the engine, it turns very slowly, and the interior lights grow dim. But it always starts, to our surprise. We've watched numerous videos, and we've learned that even reaching the starting motor is extremely difficult. Is there a way to test or make sure that it is the starting motor that needs to be replaced before I spent hours extracting it and testing it needlessly? Yeah. Well, you can uh, do a current draw test, but you need equipment. And what that will tell you is if the starter is demanding way, way more current than it should from the battery. Yeah. Um, and there are some inductive, um, there's some inductive testers. You know, there's a a, a clamp that goes around the uh, wire to the to the starter, or you, you can take the, the the wire from the battery terminal and do an inductive draw. Mm. And sometimes I have found starters in that situation just killing the battery. I mean, you crank the engine over and it wants like 400 amps where it really would should only take like a hundred, you know? Yeah. They really take a hundred amps for a starter motor. It can. Yeah. The initial, the initial, the initial fire up, you know, to get that starter motor turning in the engine spinning 
yeah, that can that can pop a hundred amps easily, maybe more, maybe two hundred on a cold big engine, and then it levels off. Once the motor's running, the big demand is over. You know, it takes more electricity or current to get an electric motor spinning than it is to keep it spinning. Interesting. All right, this is from uh, Lynn. Then we'll go back to the phones. Lynn writes. We picked up my husband's brand-new 2024 Honda CRV on Thursday. It's not a hybrid. Got it at the dealer. Saturday morning, while he was out driving, the engine started running really roughly. Sounding strange, almost shaking. He managed to drive it home. We called the dealer service department. We were told to call roadside assistance and have them load the car on a flatbed and get it to the dealership. It's still there, and we're told this morning that Honda told the dealership they were shipping them fuel injectors for the car. Gordon, what are, Gordon, what are your thoughts on this? We we don't know cars, but are we wrong in thinking that a brand-new car should not need to be fixed? Our warm and fuzzy about this car is gone. We've always had good luck with this dealership, and with Hondas, this would be the sixth Honda we have purchased from them since 2005. That's from Lynn. Yeah. Well, I mean, they are still machines, and there's a... Mil, you know, tremendous amount of moving parts. I'm I'm astonished at how reliable and how well vehicles operate, run, and last in today's world. Yeah. So yeah, it's a new vehicle. It's very disappointing. But something failed. It was you know something went wrong. It's a defective part of some sort. So maybe it maybe if one of the fuel injectors failed. And they're not taking any chances because I thought you said plural. They ordered fuel injectors. Yes, that's what that's what the email said. Yep. Yeah. So maybe they just only ordered one. But um, I have had lots of injectors fail over the years, but it's not super common, <clears throat> and it's usually on a much more higher mileage older vehicle. Um, and when they when they fail, it can be really horrendous. I mean, the car barely will run even if one injector fails especially if it if it fails in the open position and sprays the cylinder full of gas. Ah. So, yeah, so that's something, you know, it's a defect. Unfortunately, something went wrong, and that's, of course, why the warranty is there to begin with. Yep. Um, and it'll get solved. It's a Honda. It's a great car. So, you know, just something went wrong. Gordon Fricky's our guest today. It's cars. And last month, I think we were preempted by some political event. I can't remember what it was, but we had no show last month. But Gordon here is here uh, once a month to answer your car questions. And let's go back to the phones at 800-348-2551. Rich is in Richmond, Massachusetts. What a coincidence. Rich, you're on. Thank you. Uh, hey, Gordon. I have a 2017 Ford Fusion SE with 198,000 miles on it. Um, I, I religiously get it uh, looked at by the dealer, and all of a sudden the transmission um, was acting up. So I lifted up the hood, tried to find a dipstick, found out there's no dipstick for the transmission. I checked my records. It's, it's All fluids were checked. I read the fine print if you have a dipstick. So they never told right. me. Um, so I've asked about uh, – I've looked on the Internet, and I see where the ATF cap is, but it's completely blocked by – two or three different components. I'd have to take the car apart to put some transmission fluid in. And why, why do, I'm not a Ford person, but I bought this from a, from a dealer, um, cheap, uh, year old, with a lot of miles. It's a tank. It's a great car. But what do you, if they determine, I'm going to take it to the dealer next week 
if they determine it needs to be transmission needs to be replaced, well, what's your prediction? What's what's what? It's I don't think it's ever been flushed or changed. It has right. ninety thousand right. miles on it. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, the the dipstick started disappearing quite a long time ago, probably in the nineties. Believe it or not, um, transmissions no. started out. Um, they made it so you, other than trucks, the dipstick went away, and the method of checking the fluid was not available to the owner of the vehicle anymore. It had to be um, in a shop, on a lift, level, engine running, and then you took out a special check plug and noted whether the fluid was dribbling out of that check plug or not, and if, if it wasn't, you topped it up. Maintenance intervals, we had a call earlier. Uh, it was a Subaru. Um, some car manufacturers are considering the fluid in the transmission lifetime. I don't know about Ford Fusion. You can look in your owner's manual and see if there are any change intervals recommended by Ford. Uh, and a lot of the time they're drain and refills. Um, so to answer your question, if there's nothing leaking from the transmission, everything is perfect, chances are your fluid level is still in the correct range. But almost every maintenance procedure at some point asks to have the fluid level checked because believe it or not the fluid does evaporate out of the vent and over you know tens of thousands of miles you'll lose a little bit of fluid even though nothing leaked out so if they're going to tell you it's transmission time at 198,000 it would not shock me right yeah i watched several videos and the videos I see, they can actually get to the ATF cap and put some fluid in. But my yeah, my but cap you, but is you, completely, yeah, my cap well, is The only is thing complete. is, though, you don't want to just arbitrarily pour fluid in. You need to see right. where the level is, and that's the procedure right. part of it. Okay. Right. And I saw I saw where the cap is, where you, under the, in the wheel bay, in the wheel bay, where you can drain. But I'm going to leave it to the dealer. Obviously, if it's uh, – I, mean, I also learned there's a filter in the middle – in the down, bottom of the transmission. If that filter ever gets dunked up, you've got to take it apart. This car obviously isn't worth – it has brakes. They're good. The tires, it's, it's, my, it's my pet car, my train car, and my airport car. I have two other new cars. But this is a tank, and I'd love to keep, keep it. But if it's going to be a big expense, I'm just going to um, – sell it or yeah. give it away to somebody if yeah. you recommend yeah. anybody yeah. who yeah well, well you, you know, need to find you need to find somebody that has a similar car uh, that's in great or that's in t- terrible shape it's got a good transmission but you know the value is going to be very very low yeah. but right. um, yeah the transmission filter is non-serviceable it's in the unit it's uh, other right. than fluid changes that's all you're able to do on these nowadays okay rich thanks a lot so cars don't have dipsticks anymore why I know so they got rid of the transmission dipsticks oh transmission way early. oh okay I, I well, thought you guys no, were talking about oil well, there's the, the the oil dipstick is disappearing too. Come on, man! Why? Yeah, I know I'm a dinosaur. I'm a caveman. I'm a luddite. Whatever you want to say, but why can't I check the oil? Because in the deep underlying um, theory of the auto manufacturers, it's more ways of keeping the cars 
in their service departments for everything, if at all possible, and or if it goes out to other shops, they're going to make it difficult for the shops to keep up with the latest technology and the latest trends. There's no need to not have a dipstick on any engine because if you develop some kind of an oil leak and you're on the highway, it's, it's okay, you can bring up the oil level on your dashboard as long as the screen is working properly and you can add oil to it. So they're saying you are not taking out the ability to check the oil, but you can't sample it. So I always like to, to pull this dipstick when there's question of whether it needs to be changed or not and see how horrible the oil looks. Yeah. Put it on a, a white piece of paper and kind of give you give it an eyeball analysis. Yes. So even that on a lot of cars is impossible today. And there's a lot of vehicles that it's almost impossible to drain the oil out. You have to vacuum it out. Yeah, all this sounds ridiculous. Let's go back to the phones. <laughs> Barbara and Niskayuna. Barbara, you're on. Yes. Um, I have a 23 Honda uh, CRV hybrid. And my question is it's just got 10,000, I'm getting ready to have it serviced. But when it rains or snows, when I back up, it sounds like the wheel, the brakes are squeezing, uh, squealing. It's not like the humming sound that hybrids now make when you back up. It sounds right. more like your brakes are squeaking. Is that something you've heard of? And they said it's because of moisture, but I'm like, there'll be moisture the rest of the life of this car. Yeah. Do you... Uh how many miles are on it? 10,000? Yes. And it's what year? 23. 23, okay. Um, so that's not, that's not incredibly low mileage. A lot of cars that we see that sit around a lot um, will give a lot of brake noises because of lack of use. Rust gets on there, does some corrosion, and you hear those noises when the stuff's, you know, before the car is limbered up and you've used the brakes and all that stuff has operated sometimes going into reverse is different because everything's turning the kind of the wrong way do you apply your parking brake or do you just put it in park i just put it in park but i drive the car almost every day not yeah. in car but you know it usually gets out almost every yeah. day so yeah. i was just concerned because i would just i would just, I just ask them to yeah, ask the, the dealership to just key in on that, and I'm sure by the time you drive it there and park it, it won't do it. They won't be able to hear the noise, but at least they might say to you, yeah, we see some corrosion that has started to develop on your back brakes. That's probably the noise, just so you have an idea what it might be, you know? All right, Barbara, we got to take a break here. We are overdue, but thank you for the call. Gordon Fricky's our guest today. 800-348-2551 is the number. We'll check the email bag and then get back to the calls. Here's a little John Schofield. Sticks and Stones from John Schofield's tribute to Ray Charles. Just great stuff throughout that record. 
It's Vox Pop on WAMC. 800-348-2551 is the number. Gordon Fricky's our guest today from a secure remote facility very far away from here in our studios. This email came in from Maggie. We have the uh, Honda Fit model. It's 2009 with paddle shifters as well as an automatic transmission. I learned how to drive on a stick shift so I can hear when to shift up. My spouse learned to drive on an automatic. Any advice on how to tell him or teach him how to know when to shift? And that's from Maggie. So you said it was the, the email said it was a paddle shift automatic. Yeah, it's a yep automatic paddle shift 2009 Honda Fit. Yeah, so I mean you really don't have to do anything with it. The paddles are just kind of a way to semi control the speeds of the transmission. It's kind of a comp it started out life in competition porsche had a developed a transmission called a tiptronic so you could kind of command a transmission within parameters to your liking there's no clutch pedal it's not really a manual transmission so you know you that car you just put it in drive and go and it doesn't make a bit of difference you know you could use the up down paddles um i how to gauge it kind of by feel by tachometer how the car is responding um you know there's no real true method on how to paddle shift the car it's to your liking you yeah. know all right so but, that's, that's but it's not really a manual car my uh caddy has that too but, but it's you do it with the stick shift uh but yeah. I, i'm always i've used it a couple times but i'm afraid that i'm going to you know, I, I grew up drive, driving a stick shift, and, and I know how to do it very well, but it's been a long time. And with no clutch, I'm really afraid I'm going to screw something up, so I rarely use this. Seems yeah, like you really won't screw anything up because they've got safeguards built in on upshifting and downshifting, so you you really can't blow hmm. things up or harm it. Well, so it's really um, a parlor game, really, is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I've got cars with... Tiptronic in them, and I never use it. Very seldom do I use it. And I've also got cars that are true manuals, you know. So I, you know, <laughs> the blend to me is not really that great. Yeah, there's nothing better than a true manual. Yeah. And uh, you don't see too many anymore. This is from Michael in Latham. Is it true that if there is a check engine light on the car, it will not pass New York State inspection? That is true. Yes, if the check engine light is illuminated and you pull in for a state inspection, it will automatically fail because of that reason. They'll do the they'll do the whole inspection. It'll get plugged into the state system, and it will read the code and tell you why the light's on. Yeah. All right. Uh, yep, and but then, it won't pass. Well, it'll immediately contact Kathy Hochul. And, <laughs> That's uh, right. This, this uh, 2012 uh, 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 Cadillac CTS just right. failed. So fly over in the helicopter and uh, have a look. Uh, this is uh, from Mark. I have a 2014 F450. I'm having a DEF diesel exhaust issue. The DEF was throwing a code with the check engine light. I replaced all components of the DEF system, new pump, filter, etc. The check engine light clear, uh, check engine cleared and came back on about 10 minutes later. Does DEF fluid go bad and is it difficult to drain and replace? I don't know what the actual shelf life is of that stuff. I think it's probably pretty long. Yeah. And if the vehicle is being driven fairly regularly, it's going to be slowly used up. Mm-hmm. And, and DEF, by the way, is diesel exhaust fluid. It's a liquid that gets injected 
into the exhaust stream to clean up diesel emissions. So it's uh-huh. a it's a treatment. It's a it's an emissions treatment that goes into the exhaust stream. Okay. Um, so I don't, you know, could it? Does it have a shelf life? Possibly. I, I don't use or do enough of it to really pay that much attention to it. I don't have giant diesel work around in in my shop, you know. Um, but you but you've the, worked on German cars, and there's a lot of diesel German cars. Well, there was, but that the whole de- the whole DEF thing is um, fairly current. You know, it's uh, fairly, fairly relatively new uh, technology to to keep the emissions on diesels down. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, let's see. We'll go back to the phones here. And Fred is in where? Fred, where? Hey there. Thanks for taking my call, Gordon. Uh, so I've got a tw- 2012 um, uh, Dodge Grand Caravan. It's been a great vehicle, and I've, um, I recently bought something a little newer, nicer, a town and country. Uh, this one, however, has had some weird electronic problems. I had to bring it to the dealer because uh, it uh, apparently my local uh, tech uh, said the problems I was having was a TIP module, Total Integrated Power Module. The thing would like, you know, occasionally uh, run but not restart after it's been running a while. Then it would start shutting off while it was idling. Then it would shut off while it was driving, and it finally gave up. Brought it to a dealer, and they said, yeah, sure enough, it needs a TIP module, and they replaced it. And uh, then they said, oh, by the way, you're, you, you're, you've got an idiot light on your dashboard saying there's a problem with the airbag. Do you want us to check it out? And, of course, I can't sell it if it's not kind of, or a kind of pass inspection because uh, it's got it's to have a working airbag system. And they, so they traced that down to an occupational restraint control module. And they said, well, it's a $1,200 part, plus it's backwatered for two months. So my question is, uh, is that something I can just buy from um, a used auto parts yard? And um, I don't care taking a chance on a used one if it's going to be a lot cheaper than 1200 bucks. And I don't have to wait two months. So, uh, what's the deal with that uh, that part? Well, that's an interesting question because you're in New York State, correct? No, no, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. So, in New York State, we are not able to install any used uh, airbag or supplemental restraint components. Now, Mass may be different, um, and you, as the uh, uh, do-it-yourselfer. That changes everything in New York. In New York State, a do-it-yourselfer could put a used airbag in or a used module. Um, so could you yep. change that um, component yourself? Yes. And, and it, was it the module or the sensor for the occupant? Uh, I, they, they said it was the, the the control module, so I think it was the sensor. They, they said it was a sensor problem, not, a, not an airbag defect. Right. Well, if you're replacing a module... You want to be careful that that module does not need to be coded or programmed to the vehicle. So if that's the mm. case, it's got to go back to a dealer, <laughs> and it may not be able to be programmed. They may not be able to rewrite a used part. No. So I think I mm. would check into the likelihood of if, if it's a module that they say is bad and you replace it, you're still going to have mm. to deal with getting the airbag light reset cleared and possibly programmed so i'd be careful that you might oh, be see, see. you might be chasing you know you may be uh uh chasing too many things that you don't want to that's going to cause you to go back to the dealer and, and it may not be worth the whole rigmarole you know mm. 
Yeah, my, my local mechanic is great. He can fix almost anything, but there's certain things he doesn't have the diagnostics for and certain things you have to go to the dealer for. So you're kind of, you know, at their mercy when it comes to something yes. like this. So they said that's true. they can try finding a used one so I don't have to wait two months. So I guess that's the next uh, next option. All right, well, thanks yeah. for your help. Thanks. You're Fred. welcome. And bonus points to you, Gordon, for using the word rigmarole. So uh, can you spell that by any chance? I don't know. Is it is it is it in any dictionary? Is it in no like uh, urban? I don't know. What, what's the dictionary with slang stuff in it? I don't know. I, I said something about uh, complimented by kids on, on you you know uh, something with doing something with great celerity, and they looked at me funny, and I looked it up, and it says archaic. Well, geez, they taught me that in English, so some <laughs> of these words we learned are now archaic. That's how old we truly are. Ed in Boston, Spa, you're on. Yes, I have a uh, Honda Passport and took it in for service. And I wanted, they told me that my brake fluid is foggy to change it. <laughs> what do you mean by that, foggy? What year is the vehicle? Uh, 21. 21. So, yep. So it is, it is highly recommended to change the brake fluid. Some car manufacturers say every two years, and some the initial change is three years, then every two. And the reason mm -hmm. for that is that brake fluid will attract moisture from the air, and the term is called hygroscopic. It looks, it, it loves moisture. It's like a mixed drink. It's like when you mix vodka with tonic or the water it blends beautifully right but that's yeah, not no. beautiful for your braking system so it is advisable to change that brake fluid it's a very highly overlooked maintenance um but in the long run long-term ownership of the car it pays off in terms of saving your internal components a bit longer primarily your calipers and those things out towards the wheels so um Let's see. Let's use another term, Ray. It's not total hogwash. <laughs> I like it. Uh, that, that's, some, that's some rigmarole I can get behind. Yeah, now, to be yeah. clear, though, Gordon, and I want to just follow up on this last call, you're not suggesting we put vodka tonics into the brake system, right? No, I would. the vodka and tonic I would have when you're done fixing the car. Okay, and not before you drive, correct? No, definitely oh. not. Okay. Uh, let's go to Mike in Clifton Park. Mike. Hello there. Hello. By the way, I think that uh, that liquor analogy is a bunch of malarkey. Why? <laughs> All right. <laughs> hey, I have another question regarding brakes. Okay. I've got a 19 Subaru, and uh, pretty much from the day we got it, the pedal has been low and, and pretty pretty soft, and it's never failed. But when I did take it to a dealer when I had the oil changes, I said, Tell me what you think about this. He says, "Well, that's normal." Well, the it's it turns out I recently had a we had a bumper replaced and I rented a, a a brand new Outback and that pedal is right to the top where you would expect most new cars would be, just about even with the gas with the gas pedal. Yep. And it, there's no doubt that the car we've been driving is not right. My question is. Would changing the uh, flushing the fluid and also maybe flushing the 
uh, power brake unit, not power brake, but the uh, ABS unit, would that help? You think there's, it's almost like there's air in the system. Yeah, well, there could be. It's a, it's a 19 car. Yep. Is that what you said? Yes, it's, yeah, it's a 19 Outback. And how many miles are on it? 34,000. It's pretty low. Have you had any brake work ever done to the car yet? Never, never. Never. Um, did that low, did that funny brake pedals develop later in the car's life, or you think that's been there no, the whole time? No. no, it's been there pretty much from the, from the day we bought it. Yep. This is what I would do. Um, it would be advisable to get the brake fluid bled, quote, flushed. You know, you may have to push a bunch of fluid through there to totally confirm that there's no air in the system. It may have never gotten perfectly uh, air-free from the factory, if that's the case from when you bought the car, um, and or and as the car ages, we see brake pads sticking in the caliper mounts, and they give you a spongy pedal because you're not pushing really the brake against the rotor anymore. It's kind of flexing. So I'd be suspicious of stuck brake pads, which is probably not likely because you've had the problem forever, and or air in the system and get it bled. Um, and on a lot of cars today, most cars today, in addition to the conventional bleeding, you then have to do a uh, electronic bleed, which reestablishes the ABS system. So I think that's what I would well, do to confirm that there isn't any air in there and it doesn't need an ABS bleed. All right. Yeah. So, well, yeah, I, mean, I, think, the, I think you should try the, those things. Is the ABS bleed, is that something they would do as routine replacing the no. fluid? Uh, yes, no, if you're if you're repla- if you're replacing the fluid, or you have major brake work done, where you do calipers, or let's say a line fails, or a hose, and the system goes empty, yes, you would then do a automated. It's called an automated brake bleed, and I have done right. brake work on vehicles and gotten all of the air out of the system, but if you don't do the automated bleed, you'll never get a good brake pedal. All right, Mike, thank you very much. Very quickly, we only have two minutes left with Gordon Fricky. We'll go to Jerry and Kendra Hook. Go ahead, Jerry. Hi, guys. So Hi. I have a 20 uh, RDX, Acura RDX. I bought yep. it during the pandemic. And on occasion, it doesn't shift. It literally stays in first gear. I have to pull over, turn the car off, Oy. turn it back on, and then it seems fine. I called the dealership. And um, they said I wasn't driving enough, but it's still doing it. <laughs> um, yeah. And it doesn't seem to matter whether the car is cold or warm. It It's uh, it's not totally inconvenient because I figure it out pretty quickly. And I, you know, I can pull over uh, on the right of way and shut it off and turn it on. But I was wondering if you have any thoughts. Yeah, and the only position of the gear shifter you're using is drive, correct? You're not you're not correct. paddle shifting correct. or using the no, tiptronic no. or the plus or minus. Okay. Cuz it's sometimes some cars are easy to get in the um manual shift mode and you are stuck in first gear till you physically put it back in drive. But if you're 100% sure that you're only sliding it into park, uh, I'm sorry, into drive, um yeah. 
what they why they were saying you weren't driving enough is because these transmissions today are they learn your driving characteristics and alter the shift patterns based on how you drive. Really, but uh-huh. that strategy doesn't say, "Hey, this person's you know a real slowpoke. We're never going to take it out of first. So that's not the case. Um, <laughs> so I think it would be worth at least getting it into the dealership or a shop that has all of the software to scan the transmission and just make sure there's nothing wacky in there or the dealership should be aware of any service bulletins that Acura has out there because there may be some strange uh, occurrences like yours happening but not enough for this dealer to have ever encountered but nationwide Mm -hmm. there are so I would I would ask your dealer to check their, their database on that complaint and check for service bulletins. The key is TSB, Technical Service Bulletin. Okay. And then they're going to know that you're just at, you're at, you're asked you're 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 a bit uh, educated into trying to solve the problem. All right, Gordon uh, Count Basie is rolling here, so we're done, buddy. Thanks for being with us. All right, it was a good show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Support comes from the Tang Teaching Museum at Art Gallery at Skidmore College, providing exhibits public events and educational programs for audiences in the Capital District and beyond. Skidmore.edu slash tank. At Capital Roots, working to provide healthy food access with dignity for all Capital Region residents while supporting area farms and businesses. Grow, educate, provide. CapitalRoots.org. Somebody sent in a definition of rigmarole. Confused, rambling, or incoherent discourse. Nonsense. What do you think, Zach the Engineer? That pretty much describes the show. Shall we rename it rigmarole? (laughs) <laughs> All right, at Rigor Moral it is. Tomorrow on the show, Audrey Kupperberg will be here to talk about her favorite romantic movies. Rigor Moral indeed. We'll see you too.